0: Let's go ahead and dive in, grab your Bibles, and turn to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you are a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're honored that you would be with us here at Tri-Cities, and we're walking right through the book of Acts. There is a Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us there. If you need a Bible, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you this morning, but we're going verse by verse through the incredible book of Acts, and remember... uh, we are praying, and we are believing, and personally, even in my own life, after walking through this book personally and now as being in it as a church for the last four weeks, I have a greater conviction than ever that I think it's impossible for a church to walk through the book of Acts and not come out completely changed as a church. I mean, I'm praying and I'm trusting God does a deep work in me and in us as the people of God as we walk verse by verse, through this incredible New Testament book of Acts. And you know what we're praying, and you know what we're asking God to do? We've kind of got a little slogan, if you will, that we say every week. And remember, it's a prayer. When we say we're asking God to, to change us, what is it specifically we're asking God to do through the book of Acts? Well, we say, uh, we pray, God, make us desperately dependent. Remember that? We said last week, are, are any of us bold enough to pray, God, make me uncomfortable, because let's be all honest, we really like our comforts, right? But if we're honest, sometimes our comforts make us independent of God instead of dependent on Him. So we're praying, Lord, do whatever you have to do in me and in us to make us more dependent, make us uncomfortable. Lord, make us fervently loving. God, I pray that we would be sacrificially devoted, radically repentant. God, I pray that we would be boldly proclaiming. For us as a church, that has a practical implication over the next couple of weeks. We're going to kick off, as you know, share week next Sunday. We're challenging every member of Tri-Cities to take maybe one of your names that you've been praying for or someone in your circle of influence that doesn't know Jesus, schedule a lunch, or a breakfast, or a dinner, or coffee, or whatever it is. Take a meal, live out what Jesus said. Friends share the gospel with their friends, right? Got the bracelet. If you don't have the bracelet, you need to pick one of these up. We're going to kick that off next Sunday. We're going to gather right here next Sunday night at 6. We'll gather in Johnson City at 6.30 to kick off share week, really on our faces in prayer, because we're dependent. You say, Pastor Mike, I'll be honest, this whole idea of sharing the gospel and what we're being challenged to do makes me very uncomfortable. Good, that's the point. We need the Spirit of God to be able to do this. So, Lord, change us. Make us dependent. We want to be boldly proclaiming, globally impacting. Today at 1215, so excited. Many of you guys know this. There will be a meeting here on our campus. A group of people are coming together. We as a church are going to be planting our second church in Denver, Colorado. and Many of you are going to be a part of that. I pray many of you are a part of that. We'll be sending the Sherfies out to plant that church there in Denver in just a few years from now, a few months from now. Many of you, I pray, are a part of that. So God's already at work in many ways in the life of our church. God, we're praying that we'll be joy-filled, a church that is unleashed with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Acts chapter 2. The last command that Jesus has given to the disciples here is to wait. Now, there's not a single person in this room that enjoys waiting, right? Nobody likes waiting. We don't like waiting at red lights. We don't like waiting on the internet that just spins. We don't like waiting for our popcorn in the microwave, right? It has been 60 seconds. I'm going to... We don't like waiting. The last command Jesus said, okay, you're going to wait in Jerusalem. 120 of these early disciples. Remember back in John, he had promised them, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going away, but I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to send another one, just like me, the very Spirit of God. He's going to come... And he's not just going to be walking alongside of you like I've been doing. He's going to be in you. Remember that a few weeks ago? Jesus said, listen, guys, it's better for you that I go away because the Spirit of God in you is better than me walking beside of you. So they're waiting. They're waiting for the coming of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, you won't be alone. He's going to guide you into all truth. Acts 1.4, he repeats it again and says, but you're going to wait. You're not going to raise a finger in the Great Commission yet. You're not going to leave Jerusalem. The, the coming of the Spirit of God is so vital to you, you're going to wait and do nothing else. Pray, wait. Well, finally, Acts chapter two is here, and the waiting is over. So let's read. You can follow along. Acts chapter two. I'm going to read about four verses here, and our goal today is to get through thirteen verses. I'll just be honest. I don't know if we're going to make it or not, but we're going to we're going to tackle the first four to start off to see what is going on here in Acts chapter two. What has the wait been all about? You can follow with me. Acts two one. When the day of Pentecost had come. Now Pentecost, as we'll go over in a minute, was simply a Jewish holiday that had been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's the day of Pentecost. It means the 50th. They were all together in one place. So there's 120 early disciples. They had gathered there in Jerusalem. And suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a noise. It was like a violent rushing wind. Now, it wasn't the wind, but it was like the wind. And this noise filled the whole house where the disciples were sitting. Totally engulfed them. Verse 3, and there appeared something became visible to them. There appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Now, this is a unique occasion, right? This doesn't happen every day. Something unique is going on here. I mean, if I look out, I look out, and one of you, and I look over here to Dustin Nelson, and a tongue of fire is sitting on his head, that doesn't happen every day, right? Something unique is going on here. What is it? Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. What is going on here in Acts chapter 2? Now, if you know anything about church history, you follow along in your Bibles at all, you know that Acts chapter 2, and particularly the day of Pentecost, which what we're looking at, is easily one of the most significant days in the history of the world. Without Pentecost and without what's happening here, very simply put, you and I are not sitting here today. Humanly speaking, this is the Spirit of God and Him empowering those early believers. There's a remarkable work going on here of the Spirit of God. Now, John, John Stott, a Bible commentator, said something. He said it so well, I'm just going to read it. I want you to hear this. He said, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ's likeness of character without his fruit in our lives, no effective witness without his power. Listen to this. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. So needless to say, it is of extreme importance to every one of us as believers in the church today to understand what in the world is going on here. What are these tongues all about? What's this wind all about? What does this signify? What does this mean to us today? So let's try to figure it out for the next few minutes, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Luke, quoting Jesus, refers to this event and calls it the baptism of the Spirit. Jesus said, not many days from now, talking about what we just read, you, the early believers, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What is the baptism of the Spirit? The word baptized, we immediately go to water baptism. It's not talking about water baptism, but it is a picture of being totally engulfed by something, totally immersed in something. If you are all into something you are you're totally caught up into something you could say you're baptized into that you are immersed in it jesus is saying a day is coming that you're going to be totally caught up in you're going to be in the very spirit of god himself what is the significance of that let's try to read through these verses and make some sense of it well acts 2 1 says the timing of it is very important Luke makes a note and says, On the day, or when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered in one place. Now, what was Pentecost? I said this earlier. Very simply put, Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. It had been practiced for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you were a practicing Jew at this time, there were several holidays, festivals, if you will, that you would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is bustling with more people than normal. And Pentecost was penta 50 days after another celebration called Passover. So we're 50 days after Passover. Now you know what happens on Passover in the Jewish calendar. Passover is when they took a lamb and they they killed this lamb and they took its blood and they painted it over the door as a picture that the death angel was going to pass over. They were safe under the blood. You also know from the New Testament, the Gospels, that literally 50 days before Passover, 50 days before Pentecost, Acts 2, was the Gospel when Jesus Christ died as the Lamb of God. Now, exactly according to the calendar, 50 days later, the Spirit of God comes and fills those believers and they understood that Passover meant first fruits. Passover meant the beginning of a harvest. If you were a Jew in that day, you would come to the Pentecost, the festival, and you would carry with you a barley stalk. Why in the world would you do that? Well, you just like barley. No, you do that because it was the beginning of harvest season. Harvest season had just started, so you took some of the first fruits of your harvest, you plucked them above the ground, and you took them to, to God, to the Lord, as an offering to say this. God... We're believing you for a great harvest. We're going to take the first portion of our harvest, watch this, as a symbol that we are trusting you for more and more and more. Paul, in the New Testament, refers to the Spirit of God as a first fruit, meaning Jesus, the Spirit of God in every believer, is a testimony. Watch this, there's more to come, child of God. And in the same way, what you see flow out through Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people come to know Christ. Pentecost is a way of saying, that's just the beginning. There's many more to come. So the timing of this event that I want you to understand is exactly right on God's divine timetable. Everything's right on schedule. Jerusalem is filled with people. There are some that are living there. There are some that are visiting. They're on this pilgrimage and that's the day that the Spirit of God comes. Now, there are some signs. There are some, if you will, unique things that accompany the coming of the Spirit. Acts 2 says this, And suddenly there came from heaven supernatural A noise like a violent, the word violent means forcible or strong, a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So there's this this wind, this noise that comes from heaven. Then there's going to be this tongue of fire that's just going to come in a minute. Why, Why is that there? What's that all about? One of the things God does throughout Scripture that's a great gift and a grace to us is often God will God will help us understand something that we don't understand by giving us a sign of something we do understand. See, I don't even get that. Water baptism is an example of that. Water baptism is an outward picture of buried to Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life, to indicate the significance of following Christ. Here, God is giving some signs so that the early believers won't miss The significance of what's going on. Why the wind? Throughout the scriptures, the wind is of the the presence of God. It is coming from heaven. The wind of heaven had completely engulfed everything and every one of the disciples. The wind was all-encompassing, signifying the Spirit of God is coming from heaven in a way that is absolutely monumental on this day. You can't miss it. The noise was in a sense that it is one of the most significant events. This noise was to call their attention to what's happening, is from God. It is supernatural. Verse 3, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on every one of them. All 120 believers, they were there together. They looked around at each other. And when they saw the other believer, there was this tongue of fire. I don't know if it, if it was set on their head or on their back. We don't know exactly. But it was a visible sign that every believer was now given something that they didn't have before. Now, hang on. Caution. Ready? Ready? Sometimes in scripture when God gives signs, remember that the signs are given to indicate a greater reality. What the church tends to do and what we tend to do in our fallenness is we want to focus on the sign when the sign is not the point. If I'm going to Gatlinburg and I read a sign, I don't stop at the sign. The sign is the point, what's coming. The signs here in Acts chapter 2, it's not about the wind. It's not even about the fire per se. All of those point to a greater reality of this. The Spirit of God is here. And the tongues of fire are just an incredible sign to show them something. Fire throughout Scripture is unmistakably a symbol for the presence of God. Now, watch this. This is incredible. Remember back in the Old Testament when Moses was walking through the wilderness and he was a shepherd and he looked over and he saw something on fire? Remember that? It was a bush. And this bush was consumed by fire, and Moses approaches it, and the Spirit of God, or the voice of God, speaks from the bush and says, Moses, come on up here. Is that what he says? Stop, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. Now watch this. Meaning the fire was representing the holy presence of God. But don't come too close. You'll be consumed by the holiness of God. What's this? This is huge. Do you remember in the book of Daniel when the the three uh, Israelites, or the the boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were walking through the what kind of furnace? Fiery furnace. And everybody expected to be consumed by the fire because guess what fire does? It burns, by the way. Kids, don't try this at home. It burns things. Were they consumed by the fire? You know why? Watch this. Because scripture says there was one walking with them. There was one who was encompassing them. There was one who was with them who was like the Son of God. The very incarnate Jesus Christ was walking through with them. You say, okay, I'm not getting it. What are you saying? Here, the fire representing the very presence of God is not saying go away. The very fire of God is coming and dwelling within them. How is it possible for the holiness of God that we just sang about to indwell every believer because Jesus Christ died and rose again, and because of the gospel, the very Spirit of God is not coming and repelling them in a sense, He is coming to dwell and live inside of every believer? Isn't that marvelous! Don't get hung up on the sign and miss the reality. Jesus indwells his people. And the tongue was a symbol to remind them in Acts 1-8, remember what Jesus said, Hey, I've died, I've risen again, your job, go tell. You're going to be my witnesses. And now they have the holy presence of God within them. And this tongue symbolizes every single believer is empowered with the capacity to speak the gospel message everywhere we go. Isn't that glorious? So there is these signs that are given there to indicate the significance of verse 4 that says, And they were all filled controlled under the influence of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit of God. Now you say, Pastor Mike, you're getting a little worked up about that this morning. I... Listen, I've been buried in Acts chapter 2 for several weeks. I've been waiting to just come and gush all this because it's so good. I want you to get the significance of the eternity-altering reality that the Spirit of God indwells you, every believer, and supernaturally indwells us as a church. It is a game-changer. You could say it this way. Here here in Acts 2, in a way never before known in history... Every believer there was personally indwelt, supernaturally empowered, fully under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit of God, and at the same time, supernaturally connected to each other as now the very body of Christ. There was now the union of the church that had not existed in this way before. There is immense implications for you and for me here. Luke speaks of this in Luke 24, 49, speaking of it future, he says, And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father, quoting Jesus, upon you But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They've now been clothed with the very Spirit of God from heaven himself. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a similar event when Jesus Christ begins his earthly ministry. You know the story. He's baptized. He comes out of the water. The Spirit of God descends upon him, symbolized by a dove. Now, the Spirit of God is not a bird. That's the point. It's a symbol. It's a sign, a visible sign of the reality that Jesus is now beginning his earthly ministry. Here's the point. If Jesus Christ had to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to carry out his ministry, what about you and me? That's the point. Luke ties these two together. Don't raise a finger until the Spirit of God has come. Now, the Spirit of God has come. (sighs) Okay. That's all introduction, right? Everybody okay? So you've got to read some passages in acts from time to time. And I imagine if you're reading through the reading plan, and I really hope you are, Maybe you read through Acts 2 and you kind of go, what in the world is going on there? And what in the world does that mean to us today? Let me try to give you a few applications of the significance of this today. The Apostle Paul, you understand that the, new t- the Bible interprets the Bible, right? If you want to understand what the Bible says or means, the best interpreter is the Bible itself. A few years later, there's a church called the church at Corinth. Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament, is trying to explain to the believers there in Corinth, oh, 20 years removed from this event, of what all this being baptized in the Spirit means. Because they had distorted it. And they had misunderstood it. And they had started to abuse this idea of tongues, and this idea of what it means to be baptized in the Spirit, and all that. So Paul writes to them and gives them some understanding as well as us. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12.13 the Bible says this Paul speaking to those believers he says as the church some of us are Jews some of us are Gentiles some of us are slaves, some of us are free that was the socioeconomic status of the day, there were slaves, there were free men he says it doesn't matter, it's all equal at the cross but we have all been baptized, there's that phrase, into one body by one, by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we all share in the same Spirit. Okay? What does that mean? I'm going to give you a few essential truths that I think are incredibly vital for us as a church. Number one is this. All believers are united together in one body by the Holy Spirit of God. Don't miss this. If you're here and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a supernatural connection through the Spirit of God with every other believer on the planet. There is a supernatural unity that, listen, it, 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 is, it supersedes ethnicity. It supersedes your socioeconomic class. It's greater than all that. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, listen, and the Corinthians had trouble. The reason he's writing this is because they were arguing and they were fussing and there were those that were chasing the wrong thing and there were those that were standing at a distance and they weren't fully engaged in the church and all these things. And Paul says, hey, time out. Do you understand the significance that belonging to the body of Christ for you is not an event you attend once a week? Belonging to the body of Christ is not a preference or an opinion about something. Or it's not just attending a class. He says, do you understand every believer, because of the gospel, you have a unity with every other believer by the Spirit of God? You share that with me and I share that with you. And the significance of that is immense. Jesus Christ in John chapter 17 before the night before He cru- was crucified prays for it. It is so important to God and so important to Christ. In John 17, 21 I'll just read it to you. You don't take time to look it up. Jesus is praying for For what took place in Acts chapter 2 and the implication of it. He says, I pray that they, he's praying to his father, they, that's us, will be one. Just as you and I, father, are one. You are in me, I am in you. That they may be in us, that the world will believe that you sent me. You say, what does all that mean? Listen to me. That means the significance of the union you share with every other believer is the same as the very union that is shared within the Trinity. You know why? Because God perfectly answered the prayer of Jesus. And Acts chapter 2, this baptism of the Spirit is this unifying work of all believers. Listen to this, a supernatural connection that is as real and vital and as important to God as the very connection that you have with Jesus. Wow, hang on. So let me push back on some of the thoughts we have sometime when we don't embrace this and we don't understand this. I'm a follower of Jesus and my relationship is me and Jesus and I'm going to do my own thing and I just don't have much to do with the bride or the church. I just don't have much to do with the church. Can I even begin to tell you how unbiblical that statement is? The night before Jesus was crucified, he's going to the cross the next day to buy you out of sin, to set you free, to give you an eternity, and watch this, and to place you in the body of Christ. Acts chapter 2 is to reveal to us and remind to us the supernatural, incredible reality that now every believer is connected to every other believer. And let me just go on a little short. uh, This is a shorter rant, but it's another rant. Ready? Let me tell you something I'm praying for us. Amen. you know I love our church. I think we're one of the greatest churches anywhere in the world. I love being here but we live in East Tennessee and we live in the saturated Bible belt and all the junk that goes with that sometimes and we naturally bring in, if we're not very careful, a low view of the church. So what does that mean? That means maybe we see the church through the lenses of hurt, Someone's hurt me. Someone's done me wrong. It didn't go well for me there. I get all that. And there's a lot of reality to that. The church, listen, is full of broken, messed up people. Thank God I'm one of them. Aren't you glad? The church that you're a part of. And listen, throughout the the book of Acts, you say, yes, we're unified with every other believer. But that that is manifested throughout the New Testament by belonging to local New Testament churches. There's nobody in the New Testament that says, well, I'm just going to kind of float around. If I bump into another believer, we'll pray together. No, 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 no. There's a devotion and a connection, and we could call it membership, to local New Testament churches. The idea, the idea that I can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and it has nothing to do with my brothers and sisters in Christ is absolutely foreign to the Bible. The idea, what's this, The idea that I will be healthy and thriving and maturing and growing apart from involvement in the church with other believers is a totally foreign idea to the New Testament. Say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. What's this? Some of you are here and you're weak. You're struggling. Some of you here have no power over sin. You are giving into it. You know Christ and you don't know what the problem is. You're struggling and the reason is you are standing aloof and at a distance from the people of God. It is designed. God, Jesus Christ, died for it. The Spirit of God has baptized us into one united body, the body of the lord jesus christ the people of god the church we once were not a nation and now we are the nation we are the people of god and you're a part of it hallelujah what a savior god give us a high view of the church that jesus christ bought with his blood and purchased us out that's good news now you may want to ask you say okay pastor mike There's another problem I have here. And for the sake of time, I'm going to do this really quick. You see, I read that. And listen, when I became a Christian, I didn't hear any wind. And when I became a Christian, I didn't see anybody with a tongue floating around their head. And I didn't see any fire. And I didn't speak. I mean, I I barely speak one language. What in the heck is that? What does that mean? Paul, again, helps the Corinthians to understand and us to understand. Actually, these are the Ephesians. He speaks to the Ephesian church explaining this. Ephesians 1.13, he says this, And now you Gentiles, that's us, have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. In other words, the gospel's not just for the Jews. The gospel's for all peoples, Gentiles and Jew alike. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Question, when do believers receive the baptism of the Spirit? When are believers sealed in the very Spirit of God? According to Ephesians 1.13, the moment you place faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something you work up to, it's not something you pray for, it's not something you hope may happen, it's not a new level of spirituality, you find that nowhere in the rest of the New Testament. In other words, child of God, the moment you place faith in Jesus, the moment God saves you and redeems you, he seals you with the very Spirit of God, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you and unifies you with every other believer. That's good news. Central truth number two, I may have read it, I don't know, all believers today receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Let me give you a few more really quick for sake of time. Ephesians one for, uh, 1.14, the Spirit of God, the Spirit is God's guarantee or promise that He will give each of us the inheritance that He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify Him. Paul is saying, you have the Spirit of God, it's a promise of more to come. All the inheritance, all the blessings that are yours, child of God. The Spirit of God is a is a pledge of more to come, just like Pentecost. I bring my barley because I know there's more to come. The Spirit of God, symbol that there's more to come. Book of Acts, three thousand people come to know Christ. More to come. Millions and millions and millions and millions come to know Christ since the Book of Acts. Number three, the Spirit in us now is a promise of more to come in the future. Number four, real quickly, every believer is empowered for mission and ministry based on Acts number two. And then fifthly, number five, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this. We've talked about this in the past. We're going to talk about it through the book of Acts. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. While the baptism of the Spirit occurs only once, the filling of the Spirit is an ongoing daily pursuit in the life of every believer. Because, listen, I don't know about you. I like to live independently. I like to do my own thing. I like to trust my own resources. And the point is, we are designed to live under the influence and the direction and the control and the joy and the power and the peace of the Spirit of Jesus Christ within us. It's a daily pursuit. A daily pursuit. We'll talk more about that. Okay. Everybody all right? All right. Now, I'm going to try to read through just through verse 13 and explain very quickly, and we'll be done this morning. So you see the signs and you see all that's going on here. The significant event that takes place here called the baptism of the Spirit. The the church is now born, if you will, and everything that happens in Acts and in history now flows out of the work of the Spirit of God within us. Verse 4, I'll read on, says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Make no mistake about it, the tongues that they are speaking is not babble. It's not gibberish. It's not this ecstatic prayer language. Those that were around, who were all Jews... Jews were speaking to Jews, but they were Jews from other places. Were now able to hear these guys speaking in their language, their mother tongue, known languages. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? What does that mean? Let me translate that. When they use the term Galilean, they mean redneck. Redneck. Hick. Hick. Guys, you all barely know one language, and now you're speaking one you haven't even been taught or trained. How is that possible? It'd be like you coming in here and you were you were born in Brazil, and you come into a service, and somebody here from uh, uh, be careful uh, Gate City comes up here on stage. Irwin, how's that? Right, Jonesboro, but not Johnson City. It's elite. now no, just okay. Comes up here, has never been trained, never been taught, and is able to speak perfect Portuguese. And that person who walks in goes, wait a minute, they're speaking my mother tongue. And they were never even taught that language. That's what's going on here. How could this be, they say. They were astonished. How could these rednecks, they're not even trained, be speaking this way. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, verse 8. Now, who who was assembled there? Who, Who were the people that were there? 9 through 11 chronicles the nations that were represented very quickly. Parthians and Medes, that's modern day Iran. Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, that's modern day Iraq. Judea and Cappadocia. Pontus, Phrygia, Pamphylia, that's Turkey. Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, the capital of the world at the time. There were Jews, there were proselytes, meaning Gentiles that had converted to Judaism. There were Cretans, there were Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue. And watch this. They are speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Hang on to that phrase. Hang with me. The Bible says they were speaking the mighty deeds of God. The gospel of resurrected Christ is going to be preached later by Peter in Acts chapter 2. What were they speaking? The mighty deeds of God. Let me just tell you. That's code language for Old Testament Psalms. They were reading the scriptures from the Old Testament. Now hang with me. This is huge. So what's the big deal of being in Jerusalem at this time and someone standing up and reading scripture from the Old Testament? Normally, and for hundreds of years, it was read in a particular language. It was always read in Hebrew. Why? Because the Jews believed that was the divine language. Don't come in Jerusalem with your foreign tongue. We are the Jews. You're the Gentiles. Don't come in here using all these different languages. There was one divine language that's Hebrew. What's this? Now they come and they hear the Psalms and they hear the scriptures being read not in Hebrew. But in the nation but in the tongues of the nations now listen this was so dramatic stay with me this was so dramatic verse 12 and they continued in amazement and perplexity saying to one another like most of you might be saying when you read it what in the world does this mean what here's translation What is the significance that we are hearing the mighty deeds of God spoken here in Jerusalem, not in Hebrew, but in the language of the nations? What does that mean? And it is immense for you and for me this morning. What does this mean? Now remember, many of you may have been brought up, many of you may have heard that the point here is the tongues or the languages themselves. No, no, no. It's what is signified. Remember, don't get hung up on the sign. What is being represented? What are we to gain from this? Why is this there? I'm going to show you two things very quickly that are immense. Paul, 1 Corinthians 14. Don't take time to look there. He's going to explain it for us. The Bible interprets the Bible. Acts 14, verse 20. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. What things? 1 Corinthians 14 is all about the misuse of tongues and signs. And they had begin to twist it and distort it in the church. He says, verse 14, or he says, 1 Corinthians 14, Don't be childish in your understanding. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in your understanding. You need to grow up because you don't even understand what you're doing. You don't even understand what these things mean. Verse 21, Paul says, It is written in the scriptures. Now, he's going to quote Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. Hang with me. God speaking to Israel. I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Hang with me. The crowd at Pentecost is primarily at this point Jewish or their proselytes, Gentiles who become Jews. And he's giving a rundown of the history of the nation of Israel. And he says, listen, Israel has had a problem. God will speak through his prophets. God will speak through his signs. And for ages and ages, Israel will not listen. God will reveal things. God will teach. God will instruct. And they will not listen. They will not listen. That's the history of the nation of Israel. He goes on, verse 22. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign. It represents something else. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. What are you talking about? What's this? The point is, the same pattern of the Jewish people receiving so much revelation and so much light has now been repeated again through the Gospels, because here's the pattern. Isaiah is quoting when the Assyrians came and wiped out Israel. They heard foreign languages in their land as a sign of judgment, of rejecting God. Later, he's quoting from Jeremiah when they heard the foreign languages. The Babylonians came in and wiped them out. Say, okay, I'm still not getting it now. Watch this. For the last three and a half years, the people of Israel have had God in the flesh walking among them. And Peter says in Acts chapter 2, and we'll see it next week, but you, speaking primarily to the Jews for which he came, you crucified your Messiah. The tongues of Acts chapter 2. Are a sign for two things. Number one, they were a sign of judgment to the nation of Israel. That God's plan for redemption, Israel for a time, was now going to be set aside only temporarily. Romans 11, there's a plan and a future for Israel but temporarily set aside and God's going to direct all his attention, if you will, to now not an ethnic group of people, the Jews, but now to the church that would not be Jewish only, but would be made up of every people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people group. The sign of the tongues were a sign of judgment on Israel. But watch this, blessing to the rest of the world. The sign was to say now God is building his church and his church will not be merely ethnic Jews. The church will be made up of every tongue and every tribe and every people. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 Paul says this and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promises of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Because of this, you are able to say now, I am a child of God. I am part of the people of God. Regardless of my background, regardless of my ethnicity, I, even a Gentile, I'm part of the people of God. That is good news. And to the church here, they were now to see without question... They had now been entrusted with a gospel message. Listen to me. Do you understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ resurrected is the only, listen, is the only message on the planet that transcends every racial, every gender, every political, every ethnic, every language, and every geographical barrier on earth. The gospel transcends them all. And it's the only message on earth that does that. And you and I, as the church, born of the Spirit, united together, filled with the very presence of God, have been entrusted with that message. I want to ask the team to come on up and just to begin to play. We're not finished. We're close. Okay? When God does what God does here, listen to this. When God does what he does here in the book of Acts, do you understand? Thank God he had you on his heart. When God birthed Tri-Cities Baptist Church, and Tom and Jan Lamb right down here have heard this statement many times. When God starts a church, or God births a church, or God has a church like this, it's never just about us. You understand that? Ever. Ever. There are the nations of the world. There are your neighbors next door. I'm not trying to pluck the emotional strings, but I want you to hear something. You can't read the book of Acts and understand what you are a part of and miss that you have been entrusted with an immense stewardship of the greatest message on the planet. Can't get over that. And at the same time, He has supernaturally empowered you to carry that message and to speak it. I don't know if I can. I don't know how. Listen to me, child of God. Reject the lies of the enemy. You have been empowered. You are, you are in the very Spirit of God who dwells inside of you. And we are in this together as the people of God. And God is carrying out His mission. And watch. You know one day Revelation chapter 5, there will be a gathering of all the people of God from all eternity gathered around the throne. Those that he has purchased, those that he has called out from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people. He will finish what he started. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. We get to be a part of this to proclaim the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is driven into mission. We are invited into it. We are drawn into it because of the glory and the beauty and the greatness of King Jesus. That's the kind of church we want to be. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We're going to stand to sing in just a second really a song of praise and a song of truth to remind us of a great truth this morning. But let me just ask you a couple questions before we sing. I want to be very clear here this morning. Some of you here and you're hearing all this talk about the Spirit of God and the baptism of the Spirit. And the question for you is, does the Spirit of God dwell in you at all? In other words, I'm not asking if you're a church member. I'm not asking if you're trying to be moral, if you're trying harder. Have you been born again by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ? That happens in a moment of faith. It happens in a moment when your eyes are opened and you see the beauty of who Jesus is. You see your need of a Savior. You reject everything else that you've been leaning on and you fling yourself on Him in faith and you trust Christ and Christ alone. Does that happen for you? Right now, trust Him. Trust Him. Give Him your life. Give Him your all. I surrender everything that I am to you. Secondly, child of God you know Christ are you walking under the power of the spirit of God are you trying to live independently on your own and thirdly people of God do you have a high view of the church of what you have been bought into what you have been placed as a part of oh God open our eyes to see what is the hope of our calling let us see the glory of your church your people father we love you Lord, I pray you work this truth into our heart, Lord. Change us as a result through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. Let's sing these great truths together as our team leads us.